Ladies and gentlemen, I ask you, what are the goals of a political system? What are the goals uh, of having a presidential election? What are the goals of having a primary? Tally and I are going to talk to you first about the goals uh, and then we're going to talk to you about how uh, like the political sphere operates and how these goals are going to be met better on our side than on side opposition. So, what are these goals? Like, we're going to talk about that, and then uh, we're going to talk about like uh, like the discourse that's created uh, from like a from from a primary uh, election, and also like what gets done, and like how this gets people involved uh, in terms of like uh, politically. So. What are the goals of this political system, ladies and gentlemen? We want a political system which represents as many people as possible, which includes as many people as possible, which means that the, the politicians are accountable to the people, and the people feel engaged and feel that their, that their issues are listened to and that their grievances are listened to, and ultimately that meaningful change is brought about gradually in their lives so that they can better improve their lives for themselves. So. Um, how, how does a political system function? Well, what is the status quo, ladies and gentlemen? Well, poli politics, to a large extent, functions as a bell curve. So you have the center, uh, the most centrist beliefs in the center, and then you have the most extreme ones on the right and on the left, and there are fewer people who believe those. When we have a primary election, it shifts that bell curve to the right and to the left, depending on it, if it's Democrats or, or Republicans. And that's an important thing. That means the base of the Democrats are further left uh, uh, than the population as a whole and the base of the Republicans are further right uh, than the population as a whole. So when a president is running in a primary election, they have to appeal to that base rather than the center of that bell curve. Now, what are the implications of this? Firstly, and uh, a, a thing which we have seen extremely uh, clearly, especially on the Republican side of the race, is a rise of very far-right extremist ideas. We see Donald Trump saying that there should be a registry for all Muslims, that we should ban all Muslims, Ted Cruz saying that we should carpet bomb ISIS, Rubio saying that, that, that we should defund Planned Parenthood, uh, and that if a 13-year-old girl gets sexually assaulted, that, that, that she cannot terminate a pregnancy. The most extreme rhetoric on the far right has been allowed to grow. Why is that a bad thing? Well, firstly, in the short, medium term, it's a bad thing because we create um, bad political discourse and it takes away from the actual issues. We don't have discussion of actual issues when you make ad hominem attacks against entire groups of people and create massive stereotypes against entire groups of people. That means if you're a Muslim living in the United States, you do not feel safe at the moment, if, especially if you're living in like Tennessee or Missouri because you're afraid to go out because maybe there's someone who's going to attack you because you belong to a particular religion. We don't think that anybody should have to go through that and we think that when you have a person in a position of authority saying this and when you have like, even though it's a minority, like 20%, 30% agreeing with that person you don't feel safe uh, and, and you don't feel at home in that country uh, and we think that is a terrible thing. Yes. Right, so 
What are you replacing state primaries with? Is it one election? Yeah, I'm getting into that now. So, what we are replacing with, and why would it be better? We're replacing it with a general election by popular vote. And so what happens is the person who is elected is elected, uh, is electing, uh, is appealing to, to the center of the bell curve, appealing to the most people, and giving the policies which most people believe will actually bring about real change in their lives, not someone who is on the extreme right or the extreme left. So what happens after the primary election? Okay, there are a few things. So either they continue on the far right or the far left, uh, they're likely not going to get elected, but if they follow through with this, well then you get terrible policies, but because uh, the president's mandate has to be followed through in the Senate and in the House, likely what's, what's more likely going to happen is that very little gets done. Okay? Very little gets done because you have an extremist president who, who isn't willing to compromise because he, he got elected on the mandate uh, that he would do these extremist things and like, and if he wants to continue to win like in the next election then on their side of that, so he's going to have to keep appealing to that base and so he's not, or, or she isn't willing to compromise and so what happens to the people, like the most, most people? They feel disenfranchised they feel like their voice isn't heard and they feel like nothing's getting done. And so this leads to political malaise. It means that people don't feel like they're being represented. And this means that people say, oh, well, politics isn't really for me. Like, maybe these things, you know, maybe all these politicians are the same. And what we see, like, is this compounding and, like, this vicious cycle whereby people feel more and more disenfranchised. And then when people offer really simplistic explanations, like, it's the Muslims, then they're much more willing to buy into that because they don't really care uh, about anything and they feel like when the like when the same kind of politicians uh, are going in they're, and they're all liars and they never listen to me when you have an extremist like Donald Trump in you're much more likely to go okay maybe I'll just uh, maybe I'll give him a go. And so you have more, like, this greater and greater vicious cycle. And that's why we've seen such a rise in Donald Trump and people like him. Uh, and we think that's a very bad thing. And it creates even more disenfranchisement when they realize that these things which he wants won't actually happen. What, what, what is, what, if, even if that doesn't happen, uh, and they don't stay true to their principles, and they move to, like, to the center, we think that's also bad for discourse. Um, why? Because when they go back to the center, people still feel like they've been lied to because they're not holding true to their principles. If Ted Cruz starts going, you know, I'm actually okay with abortion now, uh, or, or if Marco Rubio says, you know what, immigration isn't that big of a deal, then the, the conservatives feel like they're being lied to. And what are they going to do in their next primary election? More likely vote someone even more extreme than Trump. It's ridiculous. So why is this better on our side of the house? We get, we, we get people who, who are more reasonable. Uh, uh, like, you, there's a reason, ladies and gentlemen, why we don't have, like, uh, like Ed Miliband or like uh, Enda Kenning saying crazy things like we get in the United States because if they say crazy things they won't get elected it's that simple when you have to appeal to the center of the bell curve you don't get the wackos on each side you get them appealing to the center you get them offering reasonable policies which can get things done slowly yes but get things done that's the key thing ladies and gentlemen and that's why uh, it's better on our side of the house because you appeal to like the more reasonable ideas, the ones which allow progress, and like ideas that can actually pass. And so, what have we talked to you about? We said we want people to be represented and engaged. We want a system which gets gets things done, and we don't want extremist rhetoric, and we don't want people to feel more and more disengaged, which happens if we don't abolish this. Thank you.
So, much to my own disappointment, Kleena has persuaded me that we shouldn't run the Donald Trump is great case from position, okay? So, Alan, what we're going to do today is tell you a few things. Firstly, why people are dragged to the right, why exactly it continues to exist, in whatever comparative you guys want to offer. Secondly, we're going to talk about how US electoral systems actually works, why primaries are crucial to that. Go away wherever you are. And secondly, we're going to be talking about how you get more nuanced poly discussion. And thirdly, how you get changing views amongst political parties and ideologies, why those things are great. Like, firstly, framing, like, we need a clear comparative here as to what exactly we're arguing against. It is not enough, Alan, to say we're going to have a general election because who exactly is running in this general election for, say, the Republican Party? Presumably, you believe that people who have signed up and become paid members of the Republican Party should have a chance to say who is advancing under their banner. Like, for example, the UK and Irish example brings up the members' vote. Sometimes it is the members of the parliamentary party who vote. We're going to tell you why both of those cases are bad on our side. Okay, I'm more points in rebuttal. Okay, and this idea that like you drag people to the right. Okay, see here, two things happen. One, either you have all the members of the party voting on this, okay, at which point presumably your problem remains the same, just happening over a shorter period of time that you still have the right wing. Comparatively, it's actually worse. See that in primaries, firstly, millions of people vote, and secondly, independents and members of the opposing party can in some states' primaries vote as well. So you get far more diversity when you just allow paid-up members to vote, as these guys seem to be in favour of. Also, I think you could have like just members of the parliamentary party, as we often get in other electoral systems, say just congressmen are like voting. Like also really bad in so far as like their problem is people are being dragged to the right. Letting the people who have already been dragged to the right decide who they're voting on also seems a very bad way of changing this kind of views. In terms of like the way you swing uh, in terms of the way people swing to right, like there is this nat natural check that he concedes himself but like, people do swing back to the middle. Does this seem like deter people? Like maybe, but then presumably this is something they factor into their own political calculus and don't do it because they don't want to turn people off massively from their own political parties. So that, again there's that natural check in their own political self-interest. Moving on, rest of the is into one. Okay. So, in terms of why either alternative is bad, if you have the congressman voting for it, okay, but if, if CG wants to offer their comparative an alternative, we're happy to take that as well if it's fine. Give us a POI, guys. Okay, so, in terms of standards, problems with this. One, these corruption is much more entrenched. It's much easier in terms of money in American politics, which are happy to cap by the way, that's a big problem they have, to buy one senator than to buy large amounts of primaries. Also, that money isn't winning you primaries. You see that Donald Trump has spent hardly anything as doing fantastically well. Secondly, okay, stasis. These are the very people who are doing well out of the status quo and therefore are likely to want to further change it. Thirdly, geography. These are people who are mostly from Republican-leaning states. Again, this massively skews the electorate away from a national appeal back towards the country, uh, uh, sorry, back towards specifically the red states. The idea of like everyone votes. Okay, first, this is most of the problems of senators, as far as you just have the right wing Republican members voting without even that antidote of Democrats and independents. And also, it's the same geographical problem, which I'm going to get onto now in terms of national appeal. Okay, so the problem with the US electoral system is that only about 10 states are actually competitive, right? Because the way it works is if you win a state, you get all the delegates for that state. What that means is if I am a Democrat, there is no point my campaigning in Mississippi. There is no point my campaigning in Louisiana or in Georgia, say, or in Utah, because I'm not going to win those votes. What this means is I don't need to go listen to their concerns. I don't need to waste my time, my energy, and my money, no thanks, Alan, listening to their concerns when I could be shoring up my base and making sure I win in Florida and Ohio and Indiana. Okay, no thanks. Uh, sorry, Darry, go ahead. 
Yeah, this is status quo. Like, why does keeping primaries make the system any better than abolishing primaries? Oh, of course, yeah. Okay, the reason it makes it better is I've got to go campaign everywhere. Like, because every single state holds a primary, okay? So if I'm a Republican candidate, I do need to go to New Hampshire, and I do need to go to Vermont and say, okay, what are your guys' concerns? Yes, it's not ideal, but it is so much better in which I have to make that trek. I have to go to all these places, like literally everywhere in the United States, listen to their problems. Otherwise, you literally let Ohio, Virginia, Florida dictate what happens. And so their concerns become by far the most relevant concerns, massively undemocratic, also just bad for the livelihoods of people, which, you know, we agree with Alan should be a metric. You cannot solve problems if you don't have any kind of political leverage over it. That's why primaries work so much better. Okay, let's look at how you get more nuanced policies on our side. Okay. The problem with discourse between US political parties is they are massively entrenched in their viewpoints. Partisanship is so rife that to give an inch is seen as a total surrender. Why is this bad? It means you get blindsided into and locked into particular viewpoints of De I am definitely pro-choice or I am definitely pro-life. I definitely believe that race is a problem or I definitely don't believe it is a problem. Why is it better on our side? Because on our side, you get a long-running primary campaign in which you have to defend your viewpoint against people who agree broadly with you but crucially might well disagree with you on specific instances. Why is this good? Because throughout that primary campaign, you are being questioned and questioned and questioned again, and your policy becomes so much better and becomes so much more refined. Why, crucially, having it against other members of your own party and not your opponent is better is because Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton can then have a nuanced discussion about race in the United States because they both agree that African Americans are suffering from this, but the problem is now they can have a nuanced discussion on, okay, is it economic inequality as Bernie Sanders makes it out to be, or is it like is it abject racism and systemic racism as Hillary Clinton makes it out to be? You don't get that kind of nuanced political discussion when you don't have that long period of time in which this can take place and you only argue against people who don't agree with you at all. Okay, let's talk on that. Lastly, about discourse. No thanks, guys. Okay, the problem is that you don't get the changing shifts in ideology and advancement when, again, you don't allow the massive public input that you get from primaries. Why? Because as we said earlier, by definition, the people who are choosing what happens now as people who are happy with the status quo, be it congressmen, be it like the members of the Republican Party, who are still not sure quite who it's deciding with, okay? What the problem with this is you don't advance, you don't change, and you don't shift your views to the to move on. Yes, Alan, this means we get Donald Trump, but it also means we get people like Bernie Sanders. We in opposition are happy to say that progress comes in many different ways, and it is probably better that we can advance in some way rather than that we can be locked into the traditions and customs of the past. Because the alternative is that your ideology never gets challenged, that your ideology remains simply the same, and the political parties don't adapt to the modern viewpoint. Yes, the electorate should should be a check on this. The problem is in America where there's only a two-state system, a like two-party system, and the system is rigged in favour of those two parties. You, like, you can't vote for a third party, realistically. So if, even if neither party system, even if both elites are out of touch, you don't really have a choice. There isn't that incentive on them to change, because all you can do is choose the least bad option. Ladies and gentlemen, primaries are by no means perfect, but they represent the comparatively far superior method of choosing your candidates, insofar as allowing candidates to engage with a broad swathe of opinion. We stand in opposition. Okay, so in the United States, people are far, far less people are extremely Republican or extremely Democratic. 
a majority of people lie somewhere in between. In the primary election, you encourage extremist opinions because these part of these people are trying to appeal to these extremists because that's how they get in the running. You get people ha having policies that aren't just aren't plausible, policies that they actually can't carry out. And we've seen this time and time again when they make promises that they can't keep. Right? Having primary elections create um, in the. Um, Okay, and this creates this this results in disengaging with the majority voting, the majority moderate voting. Um, these have negative harms on the people of both the extreme Republican Democratic group as well as people who are in the middle. So in general, this doesn't having these primaries doesn't actually benefit anyone. As you result in both 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 of these groups I've identified to you becoming disengaged, and this harms and compromises democracy as a whole. So I'm going to be addressing uh, I'm going to be addressing a few main points. How this creates marginally better discourse and less extremist discourse that uh, and like basically adding on to what Alan said. Um, how not having primary uh, how by not having primaries we eradicate the scenarios in which we see it's a competition of scandalous and dramatic statements. And how primaries negatively affect and compromise democracy and the efficiency of our voting system. And finally, how this creates more complete social involvement in voting, more informed voting, and less disenfranchising of our people. Um, so first off, I'd like to start with some rebuttal, right? So he brought us the idea of how, the, how by not having primaries, people are gonna get dragged to the right anyway, right? As we already stated, the majority of people are modern. When you have these primary elections, you find a lot of people are unable to relate to these, uh, are unable to relate, no thank you, are unable to relate to the extreme Democrats and the extreme Republicans. What you get is people being unable to identify with either party, people being confused as to their political stance, people finding politics, in a sense, uh, their politics confusing, and as a result, feeling disengaged and unable to engage with the political system. No thank you. We see that on our side of the house, when you eradicate that, when it becomes a general election in which you compete with everyone, in which you aren't competing with people of your party, you aren't competing as to who can say the most outrageous thing, you create a scenario in which people are able to relate with your policy, and that that's more inclusive, right? We also brought, we brought this idea of a more nuanced discussion, right? That's just not true. Right now we have primaries, come on. The debates are in no way nuanced discussions. You have people being like, oh, Ted Cruz, you're not from, you're not from America. How, how at all does, no thank you, how at all does that address the people's issues that they won't solve? No thank you. How does that address taxes? That doesn't address any of those issues. You waste most of your time on scandal, you waste most of your time on articles, things that just don't matter. Things like tabloids, as we saw with Hillary Clinton. None of which matter. These are childish, irrational, and purely scandalous. What we're trying to achieve is discourse that actually has a positive impact, discourse that makes people think and results in better policies, no fact. And this idea, we brought this idea of they're confused as to who gets to run, right? We stated it was all by popular vote. See, meaning that we don't agree with the current system in which if you get, if you win Texas, you get all of Texas's votes. We believe that's that does not represent the population of Texas accurately. We're going to be doing, uh, be doing it on a country-wide scale rather than a state-by-state -state scale, which we believe is disrepresentative of the society. No thank you. Um, so on to my first point, how this creates marginally better discourse and less extremist discourse. So Alan, Alan brought you the idea of how primaries create really toxic discourse that breed things like hate and breed things like racism. But additionally to that, the primaries make the issues seem more shallow and, and encourage simplistic solutions. So you have people like Donald Trump, no thank you, being like, let's just build a wall, am I right? Stuff like that isn't going to work. We need solutions. We need viable solutions, no thank you. We need solutions that are tactical. We need solutions that are detailed. These, this happens 
happens when you oh, when you're on our side of the house when you when you're competing with people of all different parties when you're having to address and compete with everyone's prime uh, with everyone's policies you resu it results in more detailed solutions solutions people actually agree with that aren't extremist and this brings people to the middle straight away rather than starting off on a really extreme perspective that just isn't going to happen things, things such as like the claims that Donald Trump made he isn't going to happen if he's in presidency such as a lot of the things Obama promised didn't happen because they were too far democratic for other groups. No, thank you. Um, and like, basically, okay, so on to, yeah, more detailed solutions. The second thing, primaries become a scenario in which, uh, in which, it become, uh, primaries become a scenario in which you can, it's a competition of who can say the most dramatic thing, right? Who can say the most outrageous thing? Why is this the, why is this, why does this happen? Because when they say more dramatic things, they get more coverage. Why is this an issue? Because people then never know what the actual issues are. People uh, don't see their issues that they actually care about being uh, addressed. You never see a tabloid about people's actual policies. You see tabloids about them insulting people. That doesn't make people know any more about politics. That doesn't address people's issues. And that just doesn't, that isn't the point of what we are trying to get out of the democracy. We feel like this compromising is the democratic system as people are less informed when it comes to voting. People are less aware of what they're actually voting for. They're voting for so they're voting for a persona rather than voting for policies. We believe that is wrong. Um, uh, uh, yes. Yeah, but if you just go straight to a general election with say all ten Republican candidates and all ten Democrat candidates, surely nobody has any time to make like nuanced political arguments on a debate stage, and it just becomes who can have the quickest and easiest buzzword to differentiate themselves from the rest of the crowd. All right, so we see on your side of the house that that's already the case. It is a matter of buzzwords. What we see on our side of the house is that when you, when there are ten people, but, uh, when you have twenty people, for example, and they're comparing, they have to come up with the best policy. It becomes more constructive. It becomes more about the people. It becomes less about trying to be scandalous. Um, and yeah, so that's that point. So overall, how this creates more complete societal involvement in voting, and how it creates more involvement, and how it creates more informed voting and less disenfranchising, which we believe is the main goal. Well, we, why, the reason we have democracy is because we want people voting on what they we want people voting for what they want. We want people to get out of the government what they are aiming for. That is our main aim with this. It isn't about scandal, right? So when you have these, when you have people coming up, when you have more competition and more direct competition, and it's more policy based, which is what happens on our side of the house. You get people coming up with solutions for people's actual issues. You get discussion of the actual issues. You get detailed discussions of the actual issues. This results in people being more engaged because they now know that their issues are actually being addressed. Things they care about are actually being addressed. So you have the people who are moderate, which are the majority, getting more involved, their opinions being more heard, and therefore them voting more rather than keep staying out of the primary election as a whole. You also get people, you also get the extremists not getting, in the sense that when you have these extremist policies, they, they aren't met anyway. So you get angry extremists saying disenfranchising because they don't want to vote for something that isn't actually helping them out and the promises that aren't being met. So you eradicate that problem as well. So for the reasons I brought to you today, we urge you to propose this solution. Two things, panel. First of all, why do you think uh, primaries are incredibly important in terms of local and public engagement? Why do you think that that is something that is otherwise missing from any 
any form of whatever the hell it is they're propping, and number two, how it allows for a shift in policy within the, 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 the two-party system, which otherwise is absent. Like, separate points of rebuttal, beginning with the fact that, like, things that they are not doing include abolishing the Electoral College, which means that, like, it is still the case that if you win Texas under their prop, you get all of the delegates in Texas, which wipes out any of the idea that now you get a more nuanced idea of what you as an individual want. It is still the case that it is winner-takes-all unless you're abolishing the Electoral College, in which case you should have put that into your PM. Other things they are not doing, apparently, are abolishing political parties. So notice that what they are doing instead is that they are stripping away the ability of people within political parties, like paid-up members, people who are invested in it, to choose who it is that runs on their banner. That is probably illegitimate. Unless, of course, they are abolishing political parties, in which case, again, should have gone into your PM. We assume what they are doing instead is that like, what they are saying is that it's a general election in which anyone can run. I'm going to be incredibly kind and say that even if it, even, even at your absolute best, all that happens now is Democratic senators, for example, who don't want to be led by some nut job from Ohio, just throw their weight, money, prestige behind the candidate that they want to win anyway. So even if you're not doing it as a congressional system where senators choose who it is that runs for their party. It becomes that anyway because the people who have the most political clout within that system in standing over specific candidates are people like senators, like governors. So it becomes that system anyway. That is what we're opting. That's what we've been opting the entire time. I assume that that's what CG are also going to opt, see that we gave them a chance to PYK and they chose not to take it. More rebuttal then. Number one, notice that like, let's be really, really clear on what the comparative is. In a general election or in an election where senators choose who can nominate is. In certain, because certain states are red and certain states are blue, it means that you do not have to pay attention to even, say, Republicans who are within New York because you're never going to win that state anyway. It means you only have to ever have to focus on the Republicans who are in swing states like Ohio, like in Colorado, like in Florida. That means that like, uh, like about 12% of the entirety of the US ultimately get to decide who their president is because they are the only people who are being engaged because as a Republican, I can just assume that Texas are going to vote Republican, which means I don't have to waste my money there. Number two, on extremism. Like, extremism happens because candidates have to differentiate themselves from other people. It happens in almost all electoral systems. It'll happen in yours as well, where presumably you will have, like, tens and hundreds of people, no thank you, running, each of them trying to differentiate themselves from the other hundreds of people who are also running across the country to be the Republican nominee, which is when you start doing crazy things, like saying that you will build a wall with Mexico and making Mexico pay for it. You don't solve for that problem. I don't care why you even think that you do. And finally, on a tiny point, like, this pro like if it is a general election system, notice that all you do is you put all of the power, not only within specific states, but, st but within the cities in those states, because that's where all the population is, which means you can entirely ignore rural areas, which reduces again the number of people you have to engage. They're interested in engagement. Let's like, I'm going to tell you in my first point in terms of mobilizing large numbers, why you get that better under a primary system. So the primary system demands that as a candidate, you, you mobilize huge numbers of people, not just across the entire country of the US, but specifically across entire states. Like, like, in terms of a useful fact for this debate, more people vote in US primaries overall than do vote in the ultimate presidential election. You absolutely, as a candidate, need to go into whatever state it is that that primary is being held and mobilize people to caucus for you, mobilize people to talk to your friends about you, and mobilize people to care about your campaign. That is critically important because it is almost the only level of engagement that the normal population gets, no thank you, with the candidates who are claiming to run on their behalf for election. What does that mean? It means that they zero in on your state or your group of 
states and specifically have to prove to you why it is that they are going to solve those issues for you. That is why, for example, the Flint water crisis is actually becoming an issue in the US presidential campaign because micro issues like that become large issues as they should be because specifically Hillary, Saunders, any of them have to say to the people within that state, we care about you, we will solve your problems and engage them in that way. Several ancillary benefits to that. Number one, you have to and you have an incentive to engage grassroots campaigns. The reason that Hillary Clinton just won South Carolina by 35 percentage points and Nevada before that is because she engaged black voters in a way that not even Barack Obama did. She, engaged, she, she won more than 80 percent of the black vote in South Carolina. That is huge because groups that are ultimately entirely absent from the congressional system or do not have any kind of political clout in that way are the ones on which you can rely if you, if you give them a reason to care about your campaign to come out and vote. That means you need to make concessions to them such that they can do that. That is how you bring vulnerable and disenfranchised groups into the electoral system. That is not something that ever happens when you only have to differentiate yourself from the hundreds of other people who are running or rely on the white man yeah. senators to choose you. No, thank you. It also means reaching out to groups who don't vote at all. Often, for example, like before Bernie Sanders stood up and said, I will be the one to remove campaign, to, to remove money from politics. There was really no incentive for people who believed that the US presidential system was broken to vote at all. So again, the primary system was what has brought them back into the fold. Now, uh, on, on allowing for a shift in policy inside groups, I'll take second half if you have one. Uh, yeah, so why does forcing Trump to go to every single state and then mobilise large numbers of racist people to march on the streets actually a good thing? Okay, so first of all, if like like there is no correct answer in democracy. If it is the case that people are feeling anger within those states such that they are resorting to voting Trump, the answer is not to get rid of Trump. The answer is to deal with their concerns. We think that it is probably a good thing that those people are being contacted at all. It doesn't happen on your side of the house. Here's how you get a shift in policy, though. I've noticed that the US uh, system is, is, is incredibly different to almost anywhere else in the world. There are only really two parties. If you don't like either of those parties, you are screwed. There is no one to represent you. Also note that those parties have shifted massively on what they believe over time. Prior to 9-11, for example, Muslims overwhelmingly in the US would have voted Republican because they were mainly socially conservative uh, and often had a, a, like quite a lot of money, which is which would be why they would vote for Republican, for example, and no longer do because the ideology has changed. It's also true that, for example, the South overwhelmingly used to vote, um, used to vote Democrat and then after the pushing through the civil rights Rights Act switched uh, to Republican. Why does this matter? It means that your only chance to, to decide what kind of Democratic Party your Democratic Party will be, or what kind of Republican Party your Republican Party will be, is choose people who would then lead that party. It means, for example, if you agree with with like healthcare for all, but you don't like Obamacare, if you can't choose another person to step into the Democratic Party and change how healthcare is distributed. You don't have anything else because you wouldn't vote Republican anyway, given that they want to get rid of all healthcare. What we do ultimately here at a time is through the primary system allow those individuals to step into that party and to tell, like explicitly through choosing their candidate, not only what kind of candidate they want, but what kind of broad party they want anyway, because those party lines change all the time and media saturation helps with that. That was the point that I didn't get to. We're incredibly happy to those. In the context of the United States, a country that is deeply politically divided, where the electorate is cleanly split along lines of ideology, primaries serve to deepen these schisms, to atomize the electorate into increasingly differentiated pockets of ideology, and to radicalize politics across the spectrum. And this is something which we stand against. I'm going to bring you two points of extension. 
First, why democratic representation is undermined by primaries because they encourage candidates to create as much separation from each other as possible. And second, how we promote effective governance and combat the rise of extremists, deepening the analysis we heard from opening. Most of the rebuttal will be integrated, but before that, let's clear up what it is we prefer on our side of the House. So I think opening Gov correctly points out that we will move straight to a general election. What does this mean? So primaries are the process by which political parties select their candidates. Presumably, if we move straight to a political uh, to a general election, that means we circumvent this process. Like parties just pick the candidate they prefer, and then those candidates go on to con to the general election. I, I don't think I think it's, it's compatible with the analysis we hear from top half. It's entirely possible there'll be independent candidates running the system as well. I think it might actually be a bit more likely that we get independent candidates in this case. So, first point: why democratic representation is undermined by primaries. Premise. Democracy is generally speaking about representation. The problem with this representation is that elections, generally speaking, only have one winner, right? So I think that democracy should be designed to increase the capacity of that one individual to represent the widest spectrum of views possible. Let's point out that this is something that is quite possible even with even in a country that is deeply politically divided. Like you could be a Republican candidate who broadly represents Republican ideology, no thank you, but who can is willing to compromise on some matters that, that might be more progressive. Right? You might be a Republican candidate who's more who's willing to, to consider more, more welfare, for example. You don't have to be a candidate who stands necessarily for every one of the things which traditionally Republicans are meant to stand for. You could be a Republican candidate who wants to who is willing to negotiate with uh, about like uh, the rights to act as abortion and stuff like that. So the problem with primaries is that they encourage individual candidates to take individual stances on issues and create as much separation from each other as possible. And this limits their ability you know, to later compromise and act in ways that are more representative. Why? So, first I point out that you need to, if you're, com if you're competing against other people who, by your own admission, have broadly similar platforms, so thank you, you need to make it explicitly clear as a candidate what you offer that's different from all the rest of them, right? You have to be a candidate who stands for greater gun control, unlike all those other candidates. The candidate who explicitly stands for this and also restrictive rights against abortion. You have to be a candidate who stands for a well-defined set of, uh, of stances on every issue, uh, on, on, on the majority of issues that the electorate might potentially care about. This means that when you do eventually become elected, and, and bear in mind that one of these people will eventually be elected uh, as, uh, in, uh, in, into office, it means that you're tied down to adopting each and every one of these stances when, uh, when you are in power, when you are no, thank you, adopting state policy. Right? Because the, the election can be quite unforgiving of a person who proclaims to stand for a wide range of things and later on doesn't do so. So that limits your ability to compromise on those individual issues and to later have some sort of meaningful discussion that could capture the wider granularity of support that the electorate has. So on their side, even if you have numerically more candidates, each of those candidates represents an increasingly smaller slice of the electorate, and this is something which limits your ability to get representation in politics. What was the charge we heard from opening off? Um, they give us three points. First, they say it's, it's difficult to campaign, uh, uh, with a primary year to campaign in more than just swing states. Right? But firstly, I'm not sure the additional campaigning they get on their side of the house is particularly meaningful. Like, it's true that politicians, like, no, no thank you, that, that, that all Republican candidates, for example, will contest a particular primary within an individual state. But it doesn't follow that this means that the people whose, whose views are, are in that swing state will, will later be more represented. Right? Because it's entirely possible that you will lose the candidate whom you stood for, or who stood for those individual issues that you wanted. You might also just get, get a democratic like uh, precedent. So the point is, having more representation, more campaigning within individual states is not what's important. What's important is having a candidate who's able to express the widest possible range of views, and is able to compromise so that more people get their interests represented in politics. So I think we outweigh that point in that respect. Secondly, they said we need the, the, the long-drawn process of a campaign as a sort of a crucible for uh, ideological platforms. Firstly, I think that still happens in the process of a general election, right? Like, if your problem is just time, we can make the elections last longer. I'm not sure why specifically the primary is important. The, the, 
the attempt, the, the attempt to give us to, as by way of explanation is that it means you have more nuanced discussions, right? Because candidates will have to differentiate themselves along individualized lines. And I think that's true. You do get more nuanced discussion, but you end up with less nuanced policy because now you have an individual candidate, right. no thank you, who is forced to adopt highly specialized stances on individual issues and only one of those candidates can finally be elected. So while it's true that you're generally speaking have, have, have more checks against politicians, this, is, this backfires at the point at which they are forced to create policy that's less nuanced, that's less compromising, no thank you, and that's more representative of a smaller section of that state. Finally, they say ideology, ideologies need to be checked. I think that happens in the general election as well because you are you are still competing against another another candidate, and in that respect, it's true that there will still be some amount of separation to create against that person, but it's not nearly to the same degree of unrepresentative granularity that they get on their side. First extension, done. Opening. Okay, why is campaigning against all the members of the Republican Party when it is all members of the Republican Party any different, except that now it is only right-wing members of the Republican Party rather than independent Democrats who can diversify. So let's imagine the electorate wants, generally speaking, to, to elect a, a Democratic president, right? Uh, it doesn't follow that they want to elect a Democratic president with specifically like well-defined views on every issue that are always very progressive. It might be that at the same time, some large pop like, members of the office, some large groups in this electorate might be interested in, in, in having like, guns right? or, or, or less gun control. So. On your side of the house, those individual candidates are forced to adopt individual stunts on each of these things so that they can differentiate themselves from other candidates. That means in the end, they get less compromising. That was my first extension that deals with that point. The second, um, why do we promote effective governance and combat the rise of extremists? So, it is especially true of the US that the ability of the president to cooperate with and work with Congress is important, right? Because often, this is a deeply polarized political scene in which uh, 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 when you have a, a Congress that is divided along party lines, which uh, which which don't which don't like which, which don't dovetail with the lines of the incumbent president, it means that it's difficult to get any sort of policy change enacted. So the problem is, with a if if political parties are allowed to choose a leader, they can choose the one whom they think or uh, choose, they can choose a nominee who they think is most able to work with that Congress and to create meaningful political action. The problem is that on their side of the house, you when you give individuals the choice over that candidate, it's more likely to choose someone who stands firmly for ideology, let's say as they talk about Bernie Sanders, and less for the sort of pragmatic ability to cooperate meaningfully with Congress. So here's where we clash that point about buy-in, right? Because they say we need people to believe in, in, in the political process for there, for there to be any actionable change. And that's true. But you get buy-in for the period for the few months leading up to the general election. And then you get disenfranchisement for the remaining four years when the president is unable to enact any meaningful change because he couldn't work with Congress, couldn't work with the House and the Senate. So for these reasons, we think it is far better for individual parties to select a nominee who is able to work with the rest of the political process and to allow the general population who are most likely to vote on lines of ideology to do so. It's for these reasons that we think democratic representation is undermined, governance is undermined, we're very happy to propose. Darren comes up here and tells us in fairly nice language that if you adopt very specific policies to differentiate yourselves from other candidates, that limits your ability to compromise. I'm not sure why on their side, where presumably in a general election, parties would just go, we oppose immigration reform, we oppose immigration reform, without having any kind of sensible detail about how they're going to go about opposing that, is necessarily a political system that does better for America. To be extensions in closing opposition. First, how does remedies the gross deficiency of information inherent in the electoral system? Second, how does preserve democracy? And third, how does heightens engagement with voters? Before that, just some explicit rebuttal to CG. Rebuttal to OG will be integrated, right? CG told us two things. The first is that you limit the ability of candidates to compromise because now you have to differentiate based on policy. Our first response is, why is this bad? We think it's probably a net gain if, if people know they can vote for 
opposing immigration reform in favor of like granting citizenship to all like illegally born immigrants, or for only granting citizenship to some illegally born immigrants, whether or not you to deport illegal immigrants. We think it's a net gain. Also because people now know what they're voting for. On your side, you create a perverse incentive for parties to define themselves and be as vague and evidence as possible, right? So parties would just say, we support gun control or we oppose gun control without having any incentive to offer any kind of substantiation for their reasons. Second, like, when they talk about how you need the widest possible range of views, that is true, but we aggregate these views across topics and across issues, not within the same issue, right? So broadly speaking, you vote for a candidate who represents your interests across a whole wide range of issues. But on a specific topic, like on the issue of education, for instance, you pretty much want him to have quite a clearly defined stance. Third, this is just not true. So for instance, in the Republican race, as you see between Cruz, Rubio, and Trump, like their stance on foreign policy or towards Syria like are broadly similar. We don't think it necessarily always spirals out into the kind of technical like nitpicking that CG talked about. But last of all, we think the ability of parties to compromise once they get elected is broadly unaffected, right? Like Hillary Clinton, for instance, has reversed the stance on the TPP, as has Marco Rubio reversed the stance on gun control and immigrants as well, on even this. though they haven't been elected. No, thank you. So we don't think it's really a significant harm here. Second then, on how we have to uh, focus on pragmatic cooperation versus ideology. I would just like to point out that this piece of analysis is contingent on the idea that party leaders are the ones who select a candidate, which is entirely incongruous with what OG told us was their policy. So no. First point, therefore, how does remedies the gross deficiency of information currently inherent in the system, right? What exactly are unique about primaries? Three things. The first is that you can assess how other states vote. So for instance, you can see quite clearly that Sanders won in New Hampshire and Trump won in South Carolina, but quite a huge margin. The second thing is that candidates drop out over time based on the assessment of their viability. So Jack Bush didn't fare very well in like the three races, the three primaries we've seen so far, so he dropped out as the Caliphate Arena, etc. etc. You don't get that on your side when when it's presumably a general election and all parties want to charge towards that without any means of assessing their potential viability. The third unique feature of primaries is that you form more focused debates um, in this regard. So extending and deepening that analysis that Owen told you here. When it's only a primary election where eventually Democratic uh, candidates drop out, so the race is pretty much between Hillary and Bernie, for instance, that's when you, one, have more airtime, but two, more room for depth of discussion of concrete policy issues that OG wanted. On OG's side, they were concerned about ad hominem attacks and like buzzwords. Guess what? When you have a general election with presumably 26 candidates running, the only way you make your name known is by making ad hominem attacks and using buzzwords. There's also no actual discussion. Why? Because the mileage you get out of differentiating yourself and making yourself known based on policy issues is very small. There's very little payoff. On the other hand, if I can just discredit all the other candidates by like paying personal attacks on them, the payoff is much larger for much less effort. Why exactly is this kind of information so deeply valuable? First, you give voters very clear indication of the potential electability and viability, right? At best, when they only have uh, vote uh, opinion polls on the side, which are massively misleading. Because for the longest time ever, everyone was saying that Trump will never be elected. And guess what? He went to, he went on to win pretty convincingly in New Hampshire as well as in South Carolina. This is the kind of unique information which voters need and which only primaries provide. Second thing, therefore, voters also can set issues on political agendas. So for instance, the continuous survival of Sanders 
indicates that his socialist welfare policies are pretty much something that's quite important and quite worthy of research in the system. Versus when people like Rick Sanctorum or Ron Paul drop out, for instance, the issues that they discuss are probably seen as more insignificant. So the primaries themselves and the candidates dropping out uh, and uh, which candidates remain in the primaries are good indication of which uh, issues Point are important to voters. No. Why then do general elections fail to do this? One, as we pointed out, their only other mechanism of opinion polls are manifestly unreliable. But second, you have less voter control over the issues on the agenda, as we mentioned earlier. Last of all, you don't get a concrete discussion of issues that they so fascistized and desired on the other side. No. Second point, therefore, on how this preserves democracy. There's a broad consensus on both sides that people should probably vote on either a principled basis or on policy issues. But in a general election, what do people vote on? One, brand name, because in a much larger field where candidates don't drop out over time, you have to make yourself known as far as possible. The impact of this is that you, go, you don't get the in injection of new blood like Bernie Sanders. Presumably, Hillary Clinton would have spiral to fame and gone ahead of the pack really, really quickly because of the established brand name recognition there. Yeah. You say that politicians are happy to reverse their stances on issues later. So why does any of the nuanced, complex debate you get on your side matter? In the I mean, like, one, we think that discussion probably has value in of itself. But second, it's not as if politicians always, like, willingly backtrack on their policies as and when it happens, right? So it's always a trade-off as to whether or not reversing on their stances or sticking to the nuanced policy <coughs> is greater for their side. Continuing from where I left off, OG were manifestly concerned with right-wing and extremism. Once again, you show yourself candidates to become more extreme and right-wing in order to make yourself known in the we're not sure why Trump's rise to prominence is a product of the primary system rather than just a product of US politics and racism in general. So OG also told us about Republican-Democrat partisanship and how the middle ground is encated for. Like, once again, in a general election, presumably candidates will still market themselves as either Republican or Democrat to tap on their ideological base out of order. So you don't remedy that side, that problem on your side. Last of all, increasing engagement with voters. As pointed out, the problem with the status quo is that it's a rigid adherence to ideology, which candidates are, broadly speaking, quite unhappy to budge from. Now, on the other hand, there's a pressing incentive for parties to be very responsive. So, for instance, after Sanders won convincingly in New Hampshire, Hillary Clinton immediately was forced to become a lot more leftist and to give a lot more consideration of welfare policies when previously she had been quite cozy with Wall Street because that itself was a very clear indication of what voters wanted. The difference on our side is that, one, this responsiveness comes a lot more quickly and can be factored in terms of the policies that candidates propose over time during their campaigns. You don't get that because the general election only has one time period without this like staggered process of different states voting at different times. For all these reasons, incredibly proud to So this debate got a bit messy at a certain point down the line. But what Darren Nickley does tells you is why well, there's systematic things inherent to the election process through presidential um, elections which force you to entrench your views before you even start considering the long-run politics and the long-run implementation of your policies, right? Before you even get up and go, I am going to run for president, it forces you to pick what ground you're going to run on. It makes you cement everything before you've even looked at the world, seeing what politics actually looks like once you get into the Oval Office. This is what Darren uniquely tells you, because it forces you to pick everything, cement your stances before you then go campaigning. Because if you're ever on the campaign trail and someone goes, what do you stand for, and you don't already have an answer to that, you're screwed and you're instantly out of any races. I'm going to talk to you about two things here. Firstly, representation, and secondly, policy. 
it said that in the long run, you might these people might wind up reversing their decisions, and they might go, oh, I'm pro-life now, and now I'm pro-choice. Something along these lines. Firstly, for the very reason Darren tells you, that would be very, very, very stupid because it would mean you get no support and inevitably lose the election when people believe that you have no principles and you don't stand for anything and they don't know what you're going to do. It's much better when you just go, I broadly think this is a situation we need to look at, I will prioritise it and how broad leanings I have, which is what you get in a general election, compared to what they stand for, which is a world in which you're forced to stick on it. If what it says is true, Note that it's, we win on the basis that it's even more undemocratic than what Darian tells you the world winds up looking like. Because, no, thank you. Because what does Darian tell you? He told you why there's certain instances and certain uh, prioritizations that we must have in democratic representation. Note that the Democrats and Republican parties are massively diverse, and it is almost impossible for you to represent all of them. In the uh, broad case of UK politics, the Conservative Party and Labour Party could both easily fit in within either Democrats or Republicans, right? They are broad enough that they could wind up fitting into either one of these. I know with those people here and polling map is going to go like, oh no, you can never be like a Labour and a Republican. Actually, Northern Republicans are broadly similar to what you wind up seeing from our Labour Party. So what is the important thing that we bring you? It tells you that you're now not forced to cement everything before you even get there. It means you're able to be more pragmatic because you were campaigning on things of like, I am a good person, I'm charismatic, and your ability to experience who you are as a person, rather than campaigning on these arbitrary um, characteristics that wind up doing it. It means cross-party support is now more likely and furthermore possible because you haven't forced yourself opposite ends of the spectrum, despite the facts that Democrats and Republicans quite often sympathise and cross in lots of areas. Under their side of the house, though, you can never be seen to be working with them because you already, as soon as you started doing the... Um, presidential campaigns and nominations, that's when you cemented your views, that's when you went to whatever Repu Democrat, if you're Republican, stands for, I will not support unequivocally. This is the issues you get. Then it leads you to the second thing, how we're better able to combat things like extremists, why you wind up seeing things like the wise Bernie Sanders. Because at the point at which you have to wind up cementing things, you have to cement them over something that's unique and very unique, right? You can't just be like, he wants 20% tax and I want 19% tax, right? That's going to get you nowhere. Instead, what gets you somewhere is going like, I want a fucking big wall on Mexico. That's quite something visceral and does actually get you somewhere and does make you look very different. That's when you wind up getting racist because they need to find the most visual thing that will get them the most airtime, to make sure they get the most attention, and that's when you wind up getting it. General elections just don't have the same sort of thing, right? Not that in other countries that have simple general election type things, like the United Kingdoms, you just don't get the same sort of massive, massive amount of visceral images that wind up forcing you to the mass extremes you wind up getting under their side of the house. The response we got to this is, why is it bad they have specific policies, right? I mean, just firstly, because it's often ill-informed, right? Because they haven't had the time, they haven't even spoken to a civil servant yet, because of just running for vacancy is when they were picked anything. Trump didn't have like nuanced discussions with the entirety of the Senate House before he picked what he did. He didn't know what he's going to have to contend with. All the different sort of incentives that people have in Congress in order to get his bills passed, he just randomly picked what he wanted to go for, right? Know that voting on pe people on the basis of their character and their ability to actually compromise is considerably better than comparative on their side of the House. They then say the, com the comparative is the same without actually isolating why. To the first clash point, representation. They say if we abolish this, People will only campaign in swing seats. 
Firstly, I don't see why having primary toys actually gives any meaningful change to them, right? Just because I go around campaigning for them doesn't mean I actually do any more work for Texan people, right? Texas is still under both sides of the house, a state which receives mass underfunding and doesn't actually get that much infrastructure. On the pure basis, the Republicans do know they will never need to care about this uh, constituency, right? Just because they have a primary tour on it doesn't actually mean they get any hope there. Second point that I raised with point of information, though, is that when they start going like, oh, but forces at least them to go through every constituency, I was like, but why is forcing Trump to go through presumably what he's going to have to start going through, like, majority Islam areas, majority Mexican and Hispanic areas, actually a good thing? Not that if their response is, ah, oh, he just won't go there, but he is deluded enough to actually think that Mexicans do support him. This is when you wind up having people fear for their own safety, when you force them into their constituency, into their homes, and people force thought they were safe. I don't see why that's a positive thing on their side of the house, something they didn't actually highlight. They then say it forces you to mobilise voters. That was very non-comparative. Literally every single time of electoral process forces you to mobilise voters to win, right? Even under general elections. Closing. Uh, okay, okay, so you haven't explained two things that are crucial for your extension. Firstly, why general election candidates also don't have concrete policies, but number two, why having concrete answers to campaign questions is worse than, than, than Hillary Clinton's answer being, I know, I'm working it out. Okay, well, having in mind Hillary Clinton is one of the front runners, I'm going to suggest that it's actually a very effective thing. And secondly, to why the comparative is better, just because every single system that has general elections doesn't tend towards that for the structural reasons that Darren gives you in his speech. Right, since so second what policies, right? They say interrogation of candidates makes us better policies, right? No, because it's literally virtually always a shouting match and doesn't actually have nuanced discussions about what's going to happen. Secondly, for a reason Darren tells you, you're rarely likely to change your policies once you've announced them. Therefore, I don't care how much you have a discussion about it because you're not going to change their budging and are moving. The closing then extend this and go, more airtime means better discussion, and that solves everything. No, it just means every single day a Hispanic person turns on TV has to listen to Donald Trump telling them how they're stealing everything from their homes and how they should be deported. I'm not sure why that's actually beneficial for these people. It just exemplifies and harms them from their own houses. Then it says it helps us tell us what is important. No, all it tell, helps us is tells us what the new slight differences between the candidates are and what they decided the differences should be and what they decide the important issues are. Opinion polls and focus po uh, groups are actually much better at telling us what the prevalent issues are rather than random one of, oh, this is what the candidates happen to decide with the differences between them and this is what the election became about. Under our side of the house, we get much better discussion for these and we actually get people who can represent a larger base group of people and for these reasons, I'm very proud of the first. <laughs> I would like to thank my speakers if I'm wearing the lead on the proposition bench and then I call on the uh, opposition here. Madam Speaker, I'm going to do this summary fairly simple. I'm going to first, ta uh, because the way propositions have set this debate is Oakland and Garth have said, look, what we would prefer instead of primaries is one general election where all like 30 candidates, government have a big debate and the whole country votes for pick and press. Fine. Then CG said, no, 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 what we're going to do is the Republican Party will pick somehow, they didn't explain how, who their candidate is, the Democratic Party will pick who their candidate is, didn't explain how, and then those two will have a general election. So I'm going to sum our case, you know, assuming Either one is true sequentially because X's analysis works more or less on both counts, and that's why we won. So, firstly, then, to closing government. And they're like, you know, little remap where they say, no, 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 what's going to happen is the Republican Party is going to pick a candidate, and the general election will just be between two candidates plus presumably some independents. So, what are Darian's hearts? So, the first thing he says is, look, the trouble is, in a primary system, candidates have to show how they are different from each other. So, you know, Rubio has to show how he's different from Kazich or Chris Christie, and what he then does is he adopts, like, 
specific, unique position that says, what I really care about is this specific aspect of gun control. The difference between me and Chris Christie is that he thinks this thing about gun control. Our responses to this are many Firstly, we actually just really like this. We think this is actually a really good thing in a political system where a voter says, I vote for this candidate because I hold this opinion on gun control. And this is a candidate that accurately reflects and says they accurately reflect their position. We think that nuance in these systems is actually good. The second thing is, we think that actually what this does is... Um, it, it does allow, and in certain systems we have seen candidates not just me. being boxed into their opinions in the way that they seem to say it, and in the way that they say it's bad. Why? Because let's consider policy reversal. It does happen, it does happen a lot. We're probably fine with this. Two different kinds of policy reversal that they've sort of talked about. They talked about the kind of very dramatic stark policy reversal where someone flip-flops between pro-choice and pro-life. We say probably unlikely to happen in the, in the election in the, in the way that we've seen. And if it does, it could feasibly happen in a general election as well. If you suddenly see that there are a large amount of pro-life voters uh, voting for a Republican Party and you are the Democratic candidate and you think you can win those votes by changing your position, you might do it there. But secondly, if we're talking about like a nuanced change in policy between a 30% tax rate and a 25% tax rate, we actually think that's good. We think it's fine if people nuance their policy on the basis of what voters want. The next thing we say is that actually we do like it when candidates adopt these very specific positions because very specific positions engender debate because the difference is between a Republican candidate and a Democrat candidate when you have that debate in the general election those two positions are always diametrically proposed it's I support X versus I support Y whereas if I'm in a Republican primary it might be I support X I support X plus two for example I'm doing this for Darren's benefit because he likes maths and then you have a little debate about it and then you decide that actually perhaps perhaps we should support X plus one because that seems a sensible middle ground that most voters like and then that becomes the platform on which candidates run on because candidates if through the primary process evolve and change their opinions to better reflect what they think is effective rather in a general election you never get that evolution because there's never any compromise because it always has to be diametric opposition to the other side and we say the problem there is additionally when we do have a system whereby the Republican Party picks its candidate you know out of a hat or you know probably just on the basis of you know whichever the establishment figures like the most actually we think that we can have a problem with this because when you just have the establishment candidate it's really unclear firstly what their policies necessarily will be we think that actually it's a problem if you stand on a platform and someone says what is your opinion on you know Libya and they say I don't know. We think that that should be a reason to not vote for a candidate because any electoral system where you don't know what the person you're voting for has an opinion on is a fundamental failure of representative democracy because they can't vote on your behalf because you have no idea what they think about these things. The next thing he says is, look, the problem is that people decide their positions before they run. But, like, yes, that's good. But also the trouble is, if the Republican Party picks, then you always just get the centrist opinion. You'd never get this debate between Hillary and Bernie if the Democratic Party just said, okay, for the 2016 election, we need a candidate we'll have a little chat okay we'll pick Hillary right you never get that debate with Sanders and that's problematic because you never get the nuance right and we say that the nuance here is the difference he says we don't get the 19% versus 20% debate well actually we do when it's just Hillary and Bernie on stage debating about it we do and we see what candidates like we get a better and more nuanced position so we think that that is all good the primary system isn't just the first Republican debate which is what they said is awful it's all these extreme positions as candidates
that's drop out and you get more debate time, you get more nuance, more air time, that's better. So, CG dealt with. Um, and also, like, purely on meta debating, it's kind of harsh on OO firms to just magically remake when they can't really <laughs> respond. No worries, guys. So, um, considering opening government and the mechanism they get, the higher government, all the candidates will just go for a general election I can vote between 1 and 20. They identify a series of harms in primary elections which we think are strange because, in reality, they make most of these problems about 10 or 20 times worse depending on the number of candidates standing for election. Why? Because if I'm standing on a debate stage in you know, the latter stages of the Republican primary and there are five candidates, each candidate gets, you know, like 10, 20 minutes of their time to explain, I support this on Lydia, I support this on Sarah, and have a little debate amongst themselves. If, however, it's just all 20 candidates which have no ever, who have no incentive ever to drop out of the primary race until the election day actually happens, right? And this is the difference between Darren saying, oh, we'll just have time. No, because the difference is we get time, we also get dropouts, and over that time, the nuance means um, that you do, don't just get the kind of buzzword slanging match. Like, the kind of build the wall stuff works really well when you're, you know, you've got, you're trying to tell the difference between John Kazich, Chris Christie, and Marco Rubio, and they're all basically the same, and you only get two minutes to think about each candidate. And then you have Trump on the end who says something crazy. That's how you get an identity for a political candidate when you're having a general election with 20 candidates. I'll take you in one second. And actually, this also just resorts to people doing voting on, like, random things. Like, I vote for that guy because he looks like me. I vote for that candidate because he's a man or a woman. And those things, that's really problematic. You aren't engaging with our substantive. None of that matters if you don't get change, if you don't get people engaged, and if you don't get compromise when you have, like, uh, people uh, running, like, on the centre. Okay, but we say that, like, firstly, just if everyone just always runs on the centre, that's also in itself bad, because it means you never get evolution over the time. It just means you always get the centrist Republican candidate, who will always be very pro-gun control, will always be pro-life, pro will always be anti-gay marriage, anti-climate change, not least because the Republican Party as an entity has huge business interests and has huge, like, political lobbying power from bodies like the NRA, etc., which means you never, you always get the Hillary Clintons. And we actually say sometimes the extreme position can be good. The Bernie Sanders position, whether you support it or not, has probably been good for the democratic process in general because it's forced Hillary to change and adopt her views and consider what voters say. But ultimately, mudslinging gets a lot less effective, right? Mudslinging gets a lot less effective when you have five candidates and they each have like a good 15, 20 minutes to respond to arguments. Trump can't just say, oh, you're all a bunch of wankers or whatever, because then Rubio can actually respond and explain in the airtime he gets, rather than just looking stunned for 30 seconds. Ultimately, we say that this motion was, you know, pretty good, difficult to opt given they both had different things. It should be enough, sweet, please. Thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.